I'm going to have you open to three passages of Scripture. Three passages of Scripture. All right, we'll just get them right here at the beginning, and then you can put a marker there, use one of the offering envelopes, tear out a map from the back, whatever it takes. We're going to go to three passages. Zechariah chapter 9. Now, Zechariah is the second to the last book of the Old Testament. So if you go to Matthew, go back two books, you'll find Zechariah. So we're going to go to Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah 9, Matthew chapter 21, Zechariah 9, Matthew chapter 21, and then John chapter 12. So Zechariah 9, Matthew 21, and John 12. And we're going to start in Zechariah. Oh, you know what? Let's start in Matthew. It's all good. Matthew, and we'll go to Matthew chapter 21. This is the time traditionally when we look at the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. Um, next week in my Sunday school class, we're going to go through and explain why the timing uh, becomes so dicey. But we basically, we have the Julian calendar, so we have 365 days. The Jewish calendar has 360 days. Um, their months are named a little different than our months. Jesus Christ, the Passover, was on... Uh, the 14th of Nisan, and that's given to us in Ezekiel chapter. I'm sorry, in Exodus chapter 12. That's when God instituted the Passover, and He said that this would be a perpetual feast, so that Israel is to celebrate the Passover throughout eternity, and it's always on the same day, the 14th of Nisan. The 14th of Nisan on our calendar this year is April 6th, this coming Friday would be the day of the Passover, the day that Jesus Christ was crucified, although we understand that Jesus Christ was not crucified on Friday. Amen? How many of you believe Jesus Christ was in the grave three days and three nights? Y'all believe that? Okay. Saturday? Sunday? We got a problem, don't we? So he was crucified earlier in the week. The reason for the confusion is because of the term Sabbath, and a Sabbath for the Passover is a week long. So, and that would start on the 14th of Nisan, whatever day of the week that was, whether it was Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday, whatever day of the week that was, that's when they were going to start. And uh, Jesus Christ was crucified on Wednesday, was in the grave for three days, three nights, came out of the grave on Sunday morning. What a, what a wonderful thing. And we'll talk about that next Sunday morning. But the week before that was His triumphal, what is called his triumphal entry. And let's read these passages of Scripture to get a good understanding of it. Look at Matthew chapter 21 and verse 1. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethpage unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. Now, uh, here's the deal. Jesus Christ can have whatever he wants. Isn't that right? It's all his. It all belongs to him. All right? So he says, go, go and take this. Then, and if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, the Lord hath need of them, and straightway he shall send them. You know, I think about that with children. What would you do if your children were called to the mission field? You know what the answer ought to be? The Lord hath need of them. The Lord hath need of them. 
Then, now I'm not saying that your children are donkeys. That's not what I'm saying. That's, they're not beasts, although they may behave that way sometimes. They're... So then, look at what it says. Um, and he, and straight, the Lord hath need of them, middle of verse 3, and straightway he will send them. And this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek and sitting upon an ass and the colt, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they sent him thereon. And very, a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed be he that cometh, or blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Now, look at John chapter 12. And the triumphal entry is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So obviously this was an important event in the life of our Savior. John chapter 12. And look at what it says in verse 12. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to understand this familiar story today in a new way. And Father, help us to understand it in a biblical way. Uh, Lord, so much tradition surrounds many of the things that we do in Christianity. So, Father, help us not to be uh, bound up in man-made tradition, but, Father, help us to have reverence to and uh, uh, knowledge of obedience to your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, it was said that the prophet said this was going to happen. So, let's go to Zechariah and let's look at what the prophet said. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Now, this is where we're going to be primarily. I'm going to quote and read many verses today, but I don't want you to feel like you have to turn to each one of them. Um, if you would like to turn to them, please do, um, but I might get there before you do, okay? Uh, so we're going to read a lot of verses. You can write them down, but I want us to have a good understanding of what's going on in this story. And let me do this. When we use that story, we're not saying it's like Cinderella. Amen. We're not saying it's like Snow White, though we do have Grumpy and Dopey and all those people here with us today. Um, we're not saying that it's a story in that way. We're telling the story of an event that really happened. This, you can, this is just as sure as you are here. 
Amen? All right. So Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Let's read this verse. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly, and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. So there's obviously a prophecy here. This happened hundreds and hundreds of years. This was written before Jesus Christ came. This is the prophecy that is fulfilled with Jesus Christ's triumphal entry. Uh, I mentioned to you that last June I was in Israel and I stood on the Mount of Olives and it, it, it's striking how high it is and the valley that you go down into before you go into Jerusalem. So I can just picture and I walked from Mount Zion down the exact trail that Jesus Christ would have taken and uh, I actually, on the way back up, got to see two people get into a fight, two uh, Arab uh, taxi drivers slapping each other and all kinds of things. So I loved that. That was cool. Free entertainment, you know, on Mount Zion. And uh, so it was, it's just, I, I can picture this in my mind. How many of you have been to Israel and know where, where I'm talking about? Uh, several of you, you've seen it. Are you picturing this in your mind exactly where it is? And you get down to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's at the bottom of, the, of Mount Zion. And you walk through the garden and you can see all of it. It's just, it's just amazing. But the thing about going to those places is it really happened. This is a historic event that was prophesied hundreds of years before it happened. So let's break down Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. I'm speaking to you today on the coming of the king, the coming of the king. First of all, first of all, what it says is rejoice greatly, rejoice greatly. And what, what do we learn from that? That the coming of Jesus ought to bring rejoicing, shouting and joy, shouldn't it? How many of you, if Jesus Christ came today, you'd say, oh man, this is great. How many of you think the world loves our Jesus that way? It's interesting. Do you want to you want to part crowds? Walk into a place talking about Jesus. What are you bringing that Jesus stuff in here for? I remember while I was working in the front yard, uh, uh, cutting some wood or raking leaves, doing something. When we lived, I was a junior in high school, and I had my radio out there, and I was listening to music and just having a great time. And I was out there for three or four hours, doing whatever job it was that Dad had given me to do. That was probably about a thirty-minute job, but it was taking me four hours. Um, and all of a sudden, the window opens across the street. We lived on this street with old houses, a Victorian-type house, Victorian house across the street. They open the window, and all of a sudden I hear, Shut off that Jesus music! Sorry. It's the only music Dad lets me listen to. <laughs> and it's just interesting how offensive... Jesus Christ is to this world. If you're in schools all over the country, I don't know how it would be here. I don't think it would be an issue in Shelby County. But in schools all over the country, if a valedictorian wants to thank Jesus Christ for giving them the ability to study, they're told they can't say that. Why? Because it might offend someone. No, it might, it, it, there's no might about it. If you talk about Jesus, someone is going to be offended. Why? Because the world hates him. The world hates him. Listen to what the Bible says in John 15, 18. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. We shouldn't be surprised by it. John 15, 24. If I had not done among them the works, which none other man did, they had not had sin. Jesus demonstrated to them by his righteousness 
that they were sinners. You really want to make somebody mad, behave better than them. You just think you're better than me. I don't think that. I didn't say anything. I'm just, it's interesting how righteousness, it really does offend people. But listen to what he said. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. The world doesn't love Jesus. They ought to rejoice at his coming, but they don't. John 15, 25 says, But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled, that it is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Is there any reason to hate Jesus? No. No, they hated him without a cause. They ought to rejoice at his coming. But here's the deal. Do we rejoice at his coming? Are you looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, he is coming back soon. We don't know when. It could be today. It could be in the next moment. It could be before this sermon is over. And some of you are thinking, thank God for that. This guy's never going to shut up. Now, look, it is so cool. He is coming and the Bible tells us to rejoice at his coming. But, you know, you're only going to rejoice at his coming if you love him, if you know him, if you are at peace with him. The world doesn't love Jesus Christ. They should. So now let's go back to our verse. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Now notice the spelling difference. That's just the difference between a Greek spelling in the New Testament and a Hebrew spelling in the Old Testament. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. So uh, I want you to see this. Behold, thy king. Behold, thy king. King, keep your place here and go with me to Titus. Are you running out of markers and fingers and places to hold the Bible? Go with me to the book of Titus. Jesus Christ is the king. Would you all agree with that? Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. The Bible says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God. There's only one great God. There's, there are lesser gods, you know, football, you know, LeBron James. There are lesser gods, but there's only one great God. Is that right? So it, it doesn't matter whose God He is. He's just the God. He's God whether anyone acknowledges Him as God or not. It's like gravity. You know, I, I can say that I don't believe in gravity and jump off the building and there'll be a grease spot where I land, right? Because my belief in gravity says nothing about gravity, but it says an awful lot about my sense. The belief in God says nothing about God. He is the great God. And look at what it says. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God, look, and our Savior. He's everybody's great God, but He's our Savior. Who's Savior? Anybody that trusts in Him. Amen. Anybody be that believes that He is the only way to heaven and that the only way to get to heaven is through Him. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's a very exclusive message. That's why He's our Savior, not everyone's Savior. Is that right? He's everyone's God, whether they acknowledge Him or not. He's the atheist God. He's the Hindu's God. He's the Jehovah's Witnesses God. He's everyone's God, whether they acknowledge it or not. He's everyone's God, but He's not everyone's Savior. He might be their judge, and we'll see that in a minute. But look what it says. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Christ Jesus. 
What a wonderful promise that is. What a wonderful hope. I'm glad that He's my Savior. Now go back to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 still. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. Thy king cometh unto thee. Jesus Christ is the king of the Jews. And that's what he's saying. O daughter of what? Zion. Thy king cometh unto thee. He is the king of the Jews. But remember when Jesus Christ died? Matthew chapter uh, 27, verse 37. Pilate put a sign on the cross above Jesus that said, Behold, the king of the Jews. And they said, Take that sign down. And he said, I have written what I have written. Jesus Christ is the King of the Jews. Do y'all y'all agree with that? Do y'all believe that? Jesus Christ is King whether anybody wants to acknowledge Him as King or not. Now, He is not on His throne yet. We're going to look at that in a minute. But Jesus Christ is the King. And do you know that that has been the message of the New Testament church all the way from the beginning? Go with me to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Look at verse 1. Here the Apostle Paul is establishing the church in the city of Thessalonica. And so in Acts 17, verse 1, Now when they had passed through uh, Amphipolis, 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 and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. You know we have a reasonable faith? Just come, let us reason together. We have a reasonable faith. We can reason out of the Scriptures. If someone says something unreasonable from the Scriptures, they're not reading the Scriptures. Amen? Then look at verse 3. Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. So Jesus is his name, Christ is his title, that is, he's the Messiah. So he went to the Jewish synagogues and he preached to the Jews that Jesus Christ is their Messiah. Now they had rejected him as Messiah, isn't that right? They had rejected him as Messiah, and yet the offer is still being given to them. Look at verse 4. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. Um, it's interesting how, how important women are in the plan of God. The chief women, the chief women. So like Sitting Bull and, um, but no, just important ladies uh, were, came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them, this is one of my favorite phrases in the Bible, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. What club do you belong to? Well, I'm a lewd fellow of the baser sort. <laughs> And gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, saying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Wouldn't it be cool if all of a sudden people started talking about the people of Grace Baptist Church? Man, they're turning the world upside down. Wouldn't that be awesome? That's a lot different than being like the world, isn't it? 
Let's turn it upside down. This world is upside down. There was a song out years and years ago by the, by the, the Christian group, I think it was um, Truth, and it was called Living Life Upside Down. And one of the lines in it was, Save the whales and kill the babies. That's living life upside down, isn't it? That is living life. Let's turn it back. Let, let's us turn it right, and to them it'll be upside down. That's what was going on here. They're preaching Jesus Christ, but look at their message. Look at what they were saying. Verse 7 again. Whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar. What are they saying? Saying that there is another king, one Jesus. That was their message. There is a king, and he's coming, and his name is Jesus. The message of the early church was there is a king coming to overthrow a Roman Empire. And he's going to rule and reign in Jerusalem. That is our king, the one that we worship. He's not a baby on the straw. Amen? If you have a crucifix, he's not a man on a cross. He is God, and he is the king. Yes, he was on the cross, but he got off. He was put in a grave, but he didn't stay. He rose from the dead. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's there making intercession for us today. But one day soon, the King is coming. Rejoice! Rejoice! Your King is coming! Rejoice! He is coming. That's a promise. It is going to happen. He is a King. But He's not a King yet. He's not a King on His throne yet. He will be, but he's not yet. We're going to look at that in a minute. Go back to Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah chapter 9 is a very interesting passage. It is one of those verses, chapter 9 and verse 9, that deal with Christ's first coming in his triumphal entry and his second coming when he comes to establish his kingdom on this earth. This verse deals with both of those. And that happens in the Bible often, and you find out... You discern that by seeing how the verse is quoted in the New Testament. So we're going to get to that in a minute. Until then, let's look at this. Let's look at this. He is coming. Jesus Christ is king of the Jews. And look at what it says in verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. So when the king comes, he is going to sit on a throne. And that throne is going to be in Jerusalem. In Luke, and don't take the time to turn there, but Luke one thirty-two, this is describing Jesus Christ at his birth. He shall be great, and he shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Now, where was David's throne? Jerusalem. Is that just symbolic or is it real? It's real. Jesus Christ is going to rule in Jerusalem. Look at what the Bible says in Zechariah. We're there. Go to chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14. Look at verse 16. Y'all doing all right this morning? I'm so excited about this message today. The Bible is so clear on all this stuff, and I get to tell you about it. And then you get to take this and go and tell somebody else about it. Man, I just love this. Verse 16, Zechariah 14, verse 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem. So this is after Jesus Christ has returned. He's come and he's taken all the Christians out. And we're in heaven for seven years while the tribulation takes place here on earth for seven years. 
Uh, there's all kinds of stuff goes on, on the earth for seven years. Jesus Christ comes back and makes war with the nations that have treated Israel badly in the tribulation. He's made war with them. It's not much of a battle. And he defeats them. And all of those that are left, verse 16, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go, shall even go up from year to year to worship who? The king. And who is that king? The Lord of hosts and keep the feast of tabernacles. Now, I'm not going to take the time to explain all of the feasts today, but there were seven. The first was Passover, then unleavened bread, then uh, first fruits, then Pentecost, then the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of uh, the Day of Atonement, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles is fulfilled when Jesus Christ comes and lives with His people for a thousand years. That's the Feast of Tabernacles. That's what they're going to celebrate every year for a thousand years. That's what's being described here. To keep the Feast of Tabernacles, verse 17 and it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem. Where is he going to be reigning? Jerusalem. To worship who? The king. And, what, and who is the king? Even upon them shall be no rain. So in the millennium, there are going to be people who go into the millennium and they are going to worship the king whether they want to or not. Isn't that right? You're saying, why wouldn't they want to? Because they're not saved. You say, I don't understand that. Then you should be here on Wednesday nights. We've been explaining it for about six weeks. All right? So now, look at what it says. He's going to reign. He's going to rule. He's going to be a king sitting on a throne in Jerusalem. This is not allegorical language. This is not spiritual. What that's talking about is he wants to rule and reign in your heart. Excuse me? Excuse me. Jerusalem is not my heart. It's a place. It's a city. I know. Did I tell you I went there last June? It was awesome. It was really cool. Okay, now, look at what the Bible says. The throne is going to be in Jerusalem. But not only that, go back to chapter 9. And I want you to notice some characteristics of this king. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. Now look at how he's described. He is just. He is just. See, we have to understand that justice belongs to God. Listen to what the Bible says about Jesus Christ and the way he's going to come. This is in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 3. Here's how it's describing him. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. Who are the meek of the earth? The Jews. Israel. What does the Bible say in the Beatitudes? The meek shall... Who's going to be on the earth in eternity? The Jews. We're going to be in the new heaven, new earth. You know the Bible tells us that? It identifies that very clearly. All right. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness, the girdle of his reins. So he is just, he's righteous, and he's faithful. Now, justice does not include mercy. Justice and mercy are completely different characteristics. 
The justice of God required death. His mercy caused Him to come and die on the cross for us. Why? Because His justice had to be satisfied. It couldn't just be taken out of the way. It had to be satisfied. So He is just. But not only is He just, but listen to what Jeremiah says about Him. Jeremiah 23, 5 says this, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. And that word branch in the Bible is capitalized. It's speaking about Jesus. All right? A righteous branch... And a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. Now, how many of you understand that there is not justice in the earth right now? Uh, Tom, turn that air down a little bit. It's too warm in here. I can, you know, I can always tell when it's too warm when I look out because there's no way that I'm boring you. So when I look out and I see this, I know that it's too warm in here. There is not justice in the world. Are you cold? I'm sorry, honey. <laughs> Then wake up uh, Kayla. If Kayla hadn't been sleeping, I wouldn't... No, Kayla wasn't asleep. Now look, there's not justice in the world right now. Did you see that somebody just wrote a book saying that, that O.J. didn't kill his wife, it was his son? That's a private investigator saying... That just, I just saw that report on the news this morning. There, there is not justice in the world right now. Would you all agree with that? There is not justice in the world. Some guy puts up a flag and he gets arrested for having a flag in his front yard. Is that justice? No, that's just the opposite of justice. And it's happening all over the country. Some homeowners association says, we don't like flags. <laughs> okay, watch me. Amen? Amen. That's a different subject, but justice. There's not justice in the world, but Jesus Christ is coming and he is going to bring justice. And it's going to be righteous justice. And every one of his judgments will be right. No mistakes. And what's interesting, he's not going to judge by what he sees. And he's not going to judge by what he hears. He's going to judge on the basis of his righteousness. What does that mean? God, you don't understand. I wanted to come, but the dog ate my homework or whatever. It doesn't matter what your excuse is. He is going to judge righteously, not based on argument. Is that right? He's just. He's just. Listen to what Psalm 45 says. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. You know, the king's scepter. That's the symbol of his, of his authority. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. So that's our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is a king, but he is a just king. Are you glad he's coming? Amen. He is coming. But what does that mean to us? Go with me. Turn with me to this passage. Keep Zechariah 9. But look at Romans. Romans chapter 3. And look at verse 22, Romans 3, 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. All right, so how are we made righteous? By believing in Jesus Christ. By doing righteousness? No. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So we are made righteous by believing in Jesus Christ. All right, so now... There's no difference. So that's saying there's no difference between Jew and Greek and all of that. 
Look at verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, how many of you are persuaded of that? That we're all sinners? Uh, uh, I have met people that have told me they've never sinned. Can you imagine? How'd you like to be married to somebody like that? Let me introduce you to Laura. No. How many of you think I'm too hard on her? Would you raise your hand? If you only knew what it was like to live with her, then you'd understand. Now look. You see, the, any Holy Spirit that was working in here was just quenched right there. It's just, just like that. It's gone. No, but look. Look at what the Bible says here. Being justified freely. Justified means declared righteous by God. Verse, we're in verse 24. Being justified freely by His what? Grace. What is grace? It's a gift. It's God giving us something that we don't deserve. It's something that's free. And we know that because it says being justified freely. Right? Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What is redemption? That is the price that Jesus Christ paid to buy us back. We're sold into sin, the Bible says. And Jesus Christ with His blood buys us back and through His grace declares us righteous. Isn't that just amazing? And then look at what it says. The redemption that is in Christ Jesus, verse 25, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation. What is propitiation? He was the satisfactory payment. So if I was going to sell you my car, and I said, I will sell you my car for $500. And you come and you say, okay, here's the 500 bucks. I would say, what if you came with 100? Well, that's not satisfactory payment. That's not satisfactory payment. What if you came with Confederate currency? The South's going to rise again. What are you going to do with that? That's not satisfactory payment. Is that right? But if you bring $500 cold, hard cash, in God we trust, all Baptist cash. That's all I'm taking from you. If you come in with that $500, that's a satisfactory payment. I give you the title to the car. And you can drive the car away. And then the finance company will come and find you because it's not enough. But that's a satisfactory payment. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, His shed blood, His death on the cross, shedding His blood for us, that satisfied the justice of God. That's what propitiation means. So let's go back to verse 25. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness, not my righteousness, Christ's righteousness, for the remission of sins. That's washing them. That's taking them away. For the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Verse 26. To declare, I say, at this time, His righteousness. That he might be what? And the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Jesus is just, I'm not. But Jesus is not only just, but because of his death, burial, and resurrection, he's also the justifier. So Anthony, come here for a minute. He was falling asleep, so I want to help him. No, you weren't. I know you weren't asleep. Come on up here. Isn't he cute? So he is... Not just. Amen? He's not just. This guy right here is like 600 pounds of sin on a popsicle stick. He is not 
just. But Jesus Christ can justify him. That is awesome. You want to know something crazy? Are you ready for this? If he was Adolf Hitler, now we understand. If he's Hitler, don't be Hitler. But if he's Hitler, would he be just? That's an easy one, right? That's an easy one. Do you know that Jesus Christ could have justified Hitler? If he had ever bowed his knee and said, Lord Jesus, I'm the chiefest of sinners. Forgive me. Do you know what Jesus Christ would have done? How many of you seriously have a little bit of a problem with that? It's tough. Man, he doesn't deserve it. He doesn't, none of us deserve it. That's how we understand that God is just and the justifier. And that's based on his blood, his death, burial, and resurrection. So, thanks. So, when the Bible says, go back to Zechariah chapter 9, I want you to see this. We're understanding what this is saying. Zechariah 9 and verse 9. Rejoice, o gre rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just. And then look at what it says. And having salvation. Don't miss this. He has it. So, here, Anthony, come here. <laughs> bring your Bible. Or bring the church's Bible. Come here. That's not right, is it? Am I just messing with you a lot today? I, I like that stubble, that beard stuff. I couldn't do that till I was like 28. So, now look. This, let's just pretend this is your Bible. Um, your binding's broken? Okay, come see me. I'll help you with that. All right? Now, this is, this is yours. Right? And you can find it again. This is yours. That's yours. How do I know it's yours? Possession is... But this is his. He has it. It belongs to him. He has it. I don't. So if he has it, that means I don't have it. Does that make sense? It was, when I was in college, I had a friend named Paul Rasmussen. Paul's like six foot four dark, you know, studly, just unbelievably good-looking, all right? So when we would go and we'd be around girls, I was invisible. It, you, you want to, it just, one time I was walking in, we're walking into the mall and I see a reflection. I've never thought of myself as short. I look in the mirror and I, and I see our reflection. I go, stink. This, I don't like this at all. And then we go and we see a girl and she's good-looking and I'm looking at her. And she's doing this. You know, hi, hello. What's the difference? Paul had it. I didn't. <laughs> you know, he had it. I don't. And here, he has this Bible. I don't have it. It's his possession. The Bible says about Jesus Christ, he has salvation. He's coming. He's just having salvation. It is His possession. If you want salvation, you can't get it anywhere else than from the one who has it. That's the king that's coming. Thanks, Anthony. I'll, I'll use you again. Um, so it, it's so clear. He has that. So look at what it says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just having salvation. Then this is the amazing thing. Lowly. 
lowly. See, if you ask the average uh, person who spends their time studying the Scriptures what the hardest book of the Bible is to understand, many times they'll say Zechariah. I have some quotes, I didn't bring them in here, of rabbis who say that the book of Zechariah is the hardest book in the Bible to understand. Why? Because they can't understand their king coming in lowly. It's why they missed him. Because a king doesn't come in lowly. Look, look at what it says. He is just and having salvation, lowly, and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. When he comes lowly, here he is. He has no home, no wealth. He's riding a borrowed beast. He must borrow a room to eat with his disciples. His followers are all from the lower classes. His disciples are only loyal to themselves. He doesn't have any weapons. He doesn't have anything. But his plan is to enter that city and die. How many of you would say that's lowly? You see, this is where the Bible becomes clear, where it says, the foolishness of God confounds the wise. That is foolishness to the world. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 17 that a king, the kings of Israel, would ride on a horse and in chariots with horses. But lowly people are going to ride on this ass and the colt of an ass. So, here's our question. Why would God, why would God put His first coming this triumphal entry, and his second coming, why would he put them in the same verse? Why would he do that? Because his crown springs from the cross. Let's look at it to understand that. Keep your place in Zechariah. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Do you see that? Is that lowly? The form of a servant? How many of you like to be treated like a servant? How many of you like that? Not much. Hey, Patrick, go wash my car. Now... How many of you, when somebody speaks to you like that, you know, Laura, give me some tea. <laughs> I can just picture, I'll get you some tea. <laughs> what is that? That's being treated like a servant. Isn't that right? That's Jesus. He came, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man. And I've described that to you over and over again, but that just blows my mind. Being found in fashion of a man, that is, if you saw him, you'd say, oh, that's just a guy. The God that spoke the world into existence. That, that's the one that was found in fashion as a man. But that's not enough. He humbled himself. Verse 8, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him 
and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus Christ, He receives that glory, He receives that crown, He receives that exaltation in direct result of His humbling for the cross. Zechariah 9. That 1 Corinthians passage says this, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So, what does all this mean? We have the passage in Matthew 21, we have the passage in John 12, we have Zechariah chapter 9, all describing the same thing. This is an amazing prophecy. This is an amazing prophecy of the way that Jesus Christ came. Are you ready for this? Are you ready to see something amazing that I couldn't wait to tell you? And then we'll be done. Look at how he came. Keep Zechariah 9. Go back to Matthew chapter 21. Remember I said that we understand this dual nature of a fulfillment of Scripture by the way that it's quoted in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 21, and look at verse 5. Tell ye, the daughter of Zion... Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. Keep your place there in Matthew. Go back to Zechariah. What's missing? What's missing? Look at the quotation. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. Look at what's missing. He is just and having salvation. What's missing? What's missing? Jesus Christ, when He came into Jerusalem, riding on that donkey, when He came in and they were shouting to Him, Hosanna, blessed is He that comes in the name of the Lord. He didn't come in justice. He came in grace. That is amazing. If He had come in justice to people who were not going to receive Him as their King, as their Savior, as their Messiah, if He came in justice, what would He have done? He would have killed them all and sent them to hell. The first time He came in justice. Look at the verse again. Matthew 21, verse 5. Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, the King cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and the colt, the foal of an ass. Look at, look at what it says in John. In John, here at least, it says he's coming in meek. Look at John. Matthew, he's being presented as the, the, the king of kings, the king of the Jews. Go to John chapter 12. Look at the way that this passage is presented in John 12. This is something that, that a lot of Bible scholars miss, that the way that... that the Bible is quoted in the New Testament, is God giving advanced revelation? It's not mistakes. It's not misquotes. Amen? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Holy men of God spake in times past not by the will of men, for the prophecy came not in time past by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This is all the plan of God. All right? So look at verse 15, John chapter 12 and verse 15. 
Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. See, John presents Jesus Christ as the Son of God. So they're not describing him as meek. He's not lowly. But neither is he coming just with salvation. That's not what he's coming as. And what salvation is he talking about? In that text, it's salvation of Israel from their oppressors. Is that the way that he came? No. He came to offer them eternal life, and they rejected it. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to be called the sons of God. John 1.12. It's so clear in the Word of God. So, here's what happens. Here's what happens. Jesus Christ came the first time in grace. How is he going to come the second time? Injustice. Injustice. Look, he can be your Savior, he can be your King. I'm sorry. He can be your Savior, he can be your judge. Which way would you rather have it? One way you're going to bow. Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. You can bow to him in heaven or you can bow to him in hell. One way or another, you're going to bow. He can be your Savior in grace or he can be your judge in justice. That's why these passages are recorded in different ways for you. It's amazing. Then look at the way that we're told to announce it. Go back to Zechariah chapter 9. Keep Matthew and John. But go to Zechariah 9 again. Let's compare this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Really? What does Matthew 21 say? Verse 5. Tell ye, daughter of Zion. Why aren't you supposed to rejoice and shout? Why would you rejoice and shout about people who are not receiving Jesus Christ in the right way? Tell them He's coming. He's coming. You want to see something even more amazing? Look at John. John 12. Tell me if there's something different here. John 12, 15, get it, and then let's go back and look at Zechariah 9. Look at the difference. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Rejoice and shout. Right? Look at what it says in John. Fear not. Fear not. Why? Don't worry. He's not coming in justice yet. He's coming in grace. This time, He's coming to die. Next time, next time, He's coming. He's coming as the King. He's not coming on a donkey. He's coming on a white horse. He's coming back, not in a manger. He's coming back as King. He's coming back, not to die. He's coming back to reign. He's coming. He's coming. So, what have, we, what have we learned from this about the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ? John says, Fear not, for while unbelief may delay the fulfillment of the promise, the Lord will not fail to accomplish all that He has set out to do. What do we know? Jesus Christ is coming again. The first time He came in grace. The next time He's coming in justice and righteousness. Anybody here accepted the Christ who came in grace? Has anyone here done that? You're trusting Him and Him alone for your eternal life. If He came today, where would you be? If you died today, do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? Are you sure? 
Have you placed your faith and trust in Him alone? Are you trusting your baptism to take you to heaven? If you are, He's going to be your judge. Are you trusting your good works to take you to heaven? That's tough because you don't have any. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. That's what the Bible says. So you're trusting in nothing. That's what the Bible says. The Bible describes believing in vain. If you're believing in your good works, then He's going to be your judge. If you're trusting your church membership, He's going to be your judge. If you're trusting your good works, if you're trusting your family relationship, well, my dad's a Christian. My dad's a deacon. My dad's a pastor. It doesn't matter what your dad is. Your dad can't take you to heaven. Only your heavenly father can take you to heaven. And he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you. Look, what are you trusting in? If you're trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone, if you come to that king, you say, Lord Jesus, you are my king. I'm going to get off the throne of my life. I want you to get on the throne. You're Lord. I'm not. I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. But you died on the cross to pay that penalty for me. Please forgive me for being a sinner. Forgive me for living the way that I have. I know that I can't save myself. Please be my Savior. You've offered the gift of eternal life. You've offered the gift of justice. You've offered the gift of righteousness. Save me. Have you ever done that? Not in those exact words, but have you ever done that? If you've never done that, when He comes, He's coming in justice to judge you. You say, that's not fair. (laughs) It wasn't fair for us to kill Him either. See, it is fair when He comes in justice. But what's, what's amazing is His mercy and grace because He came in grace the first time and He's offering you that gift of eternal life. I hope you'll trust in Him today. If you haven't, If you haven't, I hope that you will. If you have, tell somebody else. Tell somebody else. It's such a wonderful thing to lead someone to the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that you'll do that. How many of you learned something today about the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ? (laughs) It's not just a story. There's something He wants us to know. I hope that we've learned it. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word.